0: This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is your co-host, Chris Gasperin.
1: This is Frank Felicun.
0: You are listening to episode 117, which is the top five horror movies of 1996. Uh, Big year uh, in horror overall. Um, Frank, I think I made the comment last night um, off air that I thought this was the best year overall um, out of every year of the 90s, just in terms of overall quality. Do you think that's uh fair or do you think there's probably better years maybe
1: maybe just of the list in general i think that could be true uh it's definitely not true for the overall like movies of the year
0: right right um, yeah i just know i just meant like that out of these 90s lists
1: um i actually kind of think that the next three years are all pretty strong too um there's definitely like a sort of change from this year like going forward in terms of how much horror exists and like how much um, a lot of foreign horror comes after this. Um, There's a lot more emphasis on like horror as a successful like worthwhile genre again in some ways and most of it has to do like one movie on this list, but
0: yeah, and I think we'll probably hold because usually I kind of ask you to like update like what's going on in horror um, at the beginning, but I think that's probably more pertinent um, when we get to the number one movie on the list, which I think most people can probably already guess. Um, but I would say this year, and I guess '98 probably because of that influence of the foreign. Um, horror is
1: probably the most important do you think yeah i mean it's there's a couple um well in particular uh hideo nakata um is starting to make movies the guy that is responsible for the ring Mm -hmm. um so really like one of the more i don't know what you call like important directors in terms of like foreign horror um is kind of coming into his own this year but this is like the previous few years there's just a lot of um a lot of really bad sequels um a lot of really like kind of cheap throwaway movies so
0: yeah and I mean that this year's largely no different um Carnosaur 3, Children of the Corn 4 um Hellraiser Bloodline Cordello Blood, Cordello Blood, um, Trilogy of Terror Two. Like I'm just looking at sequels here, you know, Witchcraft Eight. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> largely, um, and very, very few horror movies this year which is interesting because last year I think I said the same thing it was like doesn't seem like there's quite as many and then this year there's like hardly any it's like 25 movies I think that are like listed here that fall under horror
1: yeah it's um again there's not much interest in it up to this point and um there's a couple directors uh this year that we'll talk about as we move through the list that really kind of embrace horror as being um like a worthwhile genre and so you start to see like the turn um where it's really what leads you into the latter part of the 90s and then into the 2000s and kind of what set the stage for what we have now which is sort of a modern renaissance of horror um which i think is i don't know i think this is this is an important year at least
0: um, I I wanted to ask you. I don't know if you have any movie, other movies you thought about putting on this list, but I did want to ask you because uh, I'm not familiar with it. A uh, Brian a movie called The Dentist. Uh, is that any good?
1: It's a. I mean, it's fine. It's not as good as like his other stuff. I don't think. Okay.
0: Um, because I've really liked everything of his, you know, that we've talked about on the podcast so far. But I've never heard of that either.
1: Yeah. I mean, Gordon wrote it. Mm-hmm. I think I've only seen it the once. I remember it being okay. I don't really have a lot of whole, um, whole lot of memory of that movie. So, okay.
0: Was there anything else? I that should you watch it again. Yeah, right. maybe I'll watch it. That
1: um Hideo Nakata movie called "Don't Look Up," um, is kind of like a precursor, <laughs> to sort of what set the stage for, uh, The Ring and like Juan um in the idea of like the haunted um it's more or less like a haunted um studio haunted sounds soundstage um where there's this ghost of this actress that kind of like curses um all the people that are involved in this production it's um it's okay it's not nearly as good as the ring Mm -hmm. um but it's fine and i thought about putting that on the list but the other five movies that i actually like more so Okay, the dentist is
0: on a uh, tubi, so <clears throat> of course it is.
1: Right, like every horror movie ever is on tubi. Like what? What? What was it? The one that I got up to like ten thousand or something like that. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah.
0: It was. It was pretty. Um. I guess impressive is the word. But yeah. Um. And you were still finding shit. Really, towards the end, that like you thought was
1: decent, right? Yeah, stuff that I would definitely want to watch. Okay, so let's uh,
0: just go ahead and jump in since we don't really have anything to talk about in terms of the year until the end. All right, so number five on your list is Bad Moon, directed by Eric Red. It stars Mariel Hemingway, Michael Pear, and Mason Gamble. It has a 33% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 44% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why you ended up including on the list?
1: Um, so uh, Hemingway and her son, um, she's a big city lawyer that's moved to uh, sort of a remote small town. So she can kind of like slow her life down and spend more time with her kid. Um, finds that her uh, sort of, I, I don't know, estranged isn't the right word, but her brother that's kind of been away for like he's a, I don't know, like a world traveler um, has moved nearby to live in his uh, motorhome on a lake. Um, they go to visit him and the kid finds that the brother has like books on um, lycanthropes, werewolves. Um the movie opens with these couple having sex and this woman getting killed by a creature and then the guy getting bitten um so long story short the brother has been infected with lycanthropy like he's turned into a werewolf um and their dog is the one that senses it um so the brother moves his mobile home um after because he's been going out and like basically murdering people um and can't really control himself so he moves to be closer to them thinking that maybe her presence will be like a calming um have a calming effect on him and kind of help him control it but it doesn't really work um chains himself in like to a tree when he's transforming to kind of like stop himself from going out and killing but doesn't really work either um finally sort of loses control of his like 100% loses control of his ability to like restrain himself as a a werewolf and ends up getting killed by uh, their family dog Thor um I mean it's a pretty I don't know simple is the word but it's it's not a very complex plot um I like the werewolf effects in it um werewolf movies are really hit or miss because if you um if you don't have a good creature <clears throat> or like you don't handle it well, then they turn, end up being like kind of silly. Um, But I think this movie takes the right tone with the werewolf. Um, And especially in building the familial relationship between the brother and the sister um, and then the little boy and the dog as well. Like it's, it's a pretty small dynamic, but it works. Um, I don't know. I just, it's a, again not like an overly complicated movie um i'm surprised it's as low as it is i guess maybe just because like who knows like Um, how many people are posting reviews of fucking bad moon but
0: yeah i mean it was more than you might think but um (laughs) so largely it was people that seemed like watching it recently and thought that it was cheesy um is is like basically the sentiment that was there among audience reviews um there's not a lot critically about this movie that like is still exists um uh without really deep digging um but uh the other thing that like was mentioned a lot is there's a lot of people that were upset that were fans of the book and was upset that apparently the book was all through the dog's eyes like through Thor's eyes um and they were upset that, like, that wasn't the case in this movie. I don't know how you do that.
1: Right. How do you film that? Right. Um, Without being, like, incredibly cheesy. Like, I think that would be...
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, like, I, super silly. I agree. I, like, there's movies with better werewolf special effects, but you can tell that it's not, like, a super high-budget movie. Mm-hmm. And yet, it still is effective enough. And, like, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's well enough acted um
0: yeah i think michael Pear is actually really good in this
1: i think it's got good pacing like it doesn't feel like it it's over long right
0: yeah and i i actually thought the dog stuff was really interesting i i i wasn't i'm not a huge fan of werewolf movies but i i watched it and thought it was like one of the better examples of werewolf movies um to me I, i i i thought the stuff with the dog was really interesting like the dog being like a pivotal character um like, and being there to, like, protect, like, the family, and I did, I thought they did it without it being cheesy, um, like, the, the protector dog, like, you know, gimmick, um, yeah, I thought that, like, he did a really good job of trying to, like, uh, playing that role of, like, you know, really caring about his family, but, and being torn over the idea of, like, lying to him and hiding this and what to do, um, I think he leans a little bit too much into some of like just becoming a st- evil stereotype maybe in like the last third of the movie but um but yeah I thought he did a good job like with that role. Maryo Hemingway's fine. Like she's always just fine. Yeah, behind, she's you know? to herself. Yeah. But um no, it was, like you said, uh, I think it was a well-paced and enjoyable movie overall, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's been a really long time since I had seen it so it was kind of a nice surprise to watch it again and still um still enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I thought it had more psychological complexity um, to it than most damn horror movies, you know, um, around this time do. I mean, uh, I thought it looked pretty good considering the low budget, even besides the effects. I just thought that it was decently filmed, you know, like, I mean, nothing grand, but well done. Um, and I was like really emotionally invested because of the dog stuff, like when they take the dog away and, um, you know, and I can see where that's cheesy, like, you know, um, a little bit, but like the dog, like coming back for the, from escaping for the rescue yeah. and everything. But, um, but no, I was, um, I don't, yeah, I, i really enjoyed the movie overall. It was fun. It reminded me of like those movies that like I would watch, like, like just randomly turn on on Cinemax or something like in the 90s and like watch and like end up yeah. getting really invested in kind of, even though it's not like, you know, a great movie. It's just a solid, you know, fun movie.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how I saw it. would have been on like HBO or Cinemax or something mm-hmm. on a Friday night, probably. Well, not Cinemax. It was a Friday night, but, you know, I think HBO used to show horror movies on Friday nights, if I'm not mistaken.
0: That sounds right. Like they would have a like a blockbuster at eight, and then show horror movies later. Yeah, that I, I think that's right. Yeah, but uh, so so let me ask you the truth. Does this just squeak onto this list to some degree, just because it's it's a it's a decent movie?
1: I mean, if there was and, something and else, and it's
0: a bad year. I mean, is that what that's what I'm
1: asking? Kind of. Sort of, I mean, it still might have made it. Again, like, I I don't think that Don't Look Up is a bad movie. I just don't know that it's that interesting to talk about and watch. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, we'll say that it, it just squeaks on, but it still is on, so.
0: Yeah. All right, well, the next four movies are all, like, really well-known pivotal movies um but i i would say i'd give bad mood a a chance like um despite it like not seemingly being of the caliber of like you know i think the next four movies here um certainly not as celebrated but so let's go ahead and get into this uh number four on your list is from *Dust till dawn uh directed by robert rodriguez written by quentin tarantino stars harvey keitel george clooney tarantino juliette lewis cheech marin fred Williamson Salma Hayek on and on and on um it has a 62 percent from critics and a 76 percent from audiences uh you want to tell us uh just a bit about the movie and um why it's on the list um your nuanced hmm. reason why it's on the list uh, right
1: um So the movie follows the Gecko Brothers, uh, Seth and Richie, played by um, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino. Um, Seth has recently been broken out of jail uh, by his brother, Richie, um, and they're trying to escape to Mexico. Um, where for 30% of the money that they've stolen, um, they'll be given the ability to live in this almost like mythical um I don't know, like safe haven for criminals where, like, they can never be caught or extradited. Um, So they're trying to make their way. Um, uh, Seth is uh, more just like calculating and cool. um, Whereas Richie is a uh, molesting psychopath um, who will always kill, um, like, without any kind of real provocation. Um, they end up kidnapping a family. Uh, it's Harvey Keitel and uh Juliet Lewis, and I can't remember the name of the kid. Um, yeah, sorry, I don't have that on call right now. Um, um, there it is. So they kidnap them and they force them to drive them in their RV down into Mexico, uh, to a um, Mexican bar slash strip club called the Titty Twister. Uh, they managed to make it down into Mexico. Um, and when they get there, um, seemingly like when they're at the Titty Twister, seemingly safe. Um, it turns out that the place is a um, waypoint for vampires who murder and kill truck drivers who come through um and then everybody dies pretty much and except for Seth and um the Juliet Lewis character um and they get away and you know that's it oversimplification maybe of it but um pretty notable um as being A horror movie that doesn't turn into a horror movie really until like two thirds of the way through the film. Um, the first, what would you say, like 55 minutes, 60 minutes are basically, um,
0: I think Satanico is like right at the one hour mark with the dance, so it happened and that happens right after that.
1: So, right, so up to that point, it's a, um, I don't know what you would call it. Like a a thriller, I guess. Um Yeah, crime thriller. Yeah. Where it's these two I don't know, despicable characters, basically, that you're like being introduced to in this family that's kind of at a almost like a religious um Moment of crisis in their family because the mother has died, and um the father sort of he was a pastor and he's lost his um sort of lost his faith um that's played by Harvey kaitel, which uh regular listeners will know is one of my um you know favorite actors of all time um the horror stuff is kind of goofy. Um, it's some decent practical effects on the vampires, but um, most of it's played for laughs yeah um my least favorite part of the vampire thing is the band the whatever they're called, like the tarantulas or whatever mm-hmm. um, and when they transform like all their instruments are yes, disemboweled corpses of right whatever like people and they're playing their guts and stuff and i think that's just like
0: yeah and and and, and let's 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 get the the stuff we don't like out of the way here and so we can actually get to like the meat of like what like i think the differences between maybe our views on this movie um i agree with you like i don't like that like i uh, the things i dislike fall in the second half of this movie largely and they're small things but they add up a little bit so yes i agree i hate the band stuff um, when they turn into vampires, I hate the fact that they just like randomly kind of like, explode like themselves. Um, um, and that kind of ties into things like when Sex Machine, like you know, as a vampire, gets beheaded or whatever, and then turns into some sort of vampire dog rat yeah, monster—a
1: rat, I think. Yeah, like and and then there's like there's like the way the
0: vampires die, like some of them explode for no reason and sometimes they don't and it's like the the way their deaths happen seemingly are random and really make no sense and so there's no like coherent logic to the vampires or um like the the means of killing and then that ties into the stuff that i dislike about the final sequence even though i think there's some good shots in there and like there's like you know some some decent energy. It's like things like, you know, because of like all of that, like not making sense to me Um, because of the lack of consistency, it's like what it seems like the most effective thing is what's what, what's his name Scotty is using like the like the holy water is and, and light are the most effective things. Right. But like fucking Seth has this fucking gigantic, you know,
1: pneumatic state gun.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, that is the most impractical thing ever um and then she suddenly is like fucking nailing people with a crossbow which i hate like this little you know f- you know waif of a girl who like doesn't know anything and is like this supposedly this really naive like you know kind of like innocent caring person um suddenly is like just wielding this crossbow with like um ac- like ma- mad accuracy it doesn't make any sense to me and i think it like kind of makes the movie even sillier than it should it's supposed to be, um, agreed, and and so it's really that kind of stuff that I dislike a lot um, in it. But what are the things that you really dislike about this? Because yes. because that's really nitpicky things I think that I dislike about the horror aspect of it. You have like broader concerns with the whole
1: thing. I I'm not a big fan of how quickly this family of religious people who's been kidnapped by these two psychopaths it like takes to them and sort of like becomes protective of them and I mean in all honesty okay so you're Harvey Keitel and Seth is about to get his ass kicked by like an entire bar full of people just take that opportunity to leave you know what I mean like you could just go like you don't need to like step in and defend the guy and the same thing with like Richie when um, like right before he gets bitten, and you know, Julia Lewis is like, Richie, watch out, you know, and like why where there's no
0: that's a bad line delivery too. It's a, it's it's a really absurd thing. Like um when she says Richie, watch out, because right. like it's satanico, like turns into like this like leathery like bat version of a vampire, and like her response is Richie, watch out right like not like holy fuck what is this thing like nothing not being speechless it's richie watch out um it's 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 kind of absurd
1: i mean i'm just not a fan of that part of it i i think a lot of it has to do with that. i don't ever see a moment where they're made likable characters so i don't know why you'd ever care about what happens to them Like I don't know that there's, I don't know. I mean, are you talking about the
0: geckos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the geckos.
1: Uh But to that end, like neither is the family really made all that likable in the long run. I mean, I think
0: she's she's the most sympathetic character, though.
1: Maybe, but she's also just kind of a blank slate. Like that's like Doll Eye Juliet Lewis. Like I don't know. I'm not a big fan of her anyway. So. I, but, I I think so there's me, a lot
0: more characterization going on in the first half of that movie than what you ever will, yeah, like admit to like
1: I, I mean i just don't think it's very interesting characterization i think it's just kind of lame i don't know so let's talk about what i like about the movie because mm-hmm. you know that's the whole point i guess i want to um, get the bad
0: stuff out of the way then...
1: eh, yeah Well, we ain't got that kind of time um I really like the cinematography in the first part of this movie. Um, I think that the way that Rodriguez films, whatever you want to call it, like that Texas desert or whatever, um, just the dustiness of it, the film grain that he uses, like all of it just looks really like dry and hot. And I, I think it looks really nice. Um, I do think there's some good moments um, between Seth and Richie um, like you and I were talking about this off air but when um, when Richie is murdered uh, they're hostage and Seth kind of like is dumbfounded and then in shock and then snaps out of it and sort of like basically assaults his brother and like that's really that's Clooney Is good in this movie, and I think acts really well, and is the best part of the movie. I I don't think Harvey Keitel is as good in this movie, but I don't like Harvey Keitel anyway, like anything that he's in. I'm kind of predisposed to dislike. Um, I. I hate this era of Tarantino as an actor in a lot of ways.
0: I, you know what, I was going to make that accusation. Like, and just so you know, you're going back into things you dislike about this movie, but um,
1: yeah, right. But yeah, but
0: I, I was going to make that accusation is I, I think that you hate Quentin Tarantino as an actor.
1: Ninety percent of the time, yes, I think that he is not a good actor. Right, and I don't
0: disagree with you. I actually think this is his best role, honestly
1: yeah i don't know because i
0: think he's kind of probably like i don't know how he is now that he's like near 60 but it's like i I mean i think certainly around this time he's kind of a creep um and uh i think it fits him pretty well
1: he's fine in um django Mm -hmm. as like the whatever the slave right um the miner mining captain or whatever that's like taking django as a slave again and it's fine um I think this movie's super important and I think it's as important like with the second and first movie on this list and not, not really the third one so much, but, um, in that they're like, this was a mainstream film that was helmed by, um, like one of the hottest directors at the time in Hollywood. Like there's the, one of the indie darlings that had become like a mainstream director um and with tarantino's involvement i mean there's a lot of importance to this movie and bringing people out to the theater and getting someone to watch like a horror movie um i'm just not a huge fan of rodriguez's vision of what horror is like i think rodriguez is very um tongue-in-cheek with his horror yes and
0: which i think works really well for the um, grindhouse movie that he did planet terror
1: Right, and that's so over the top, and it's yeah. a horror movie from start to finish, basically.
0: Yeah.
1: Um yeah, I don't know. I mean I feel like it's just, I don't know. It's it's fine. It's the number four movie for a reason. If there would have been something other than Bad Moon on this list, it probably would have been the number five movie. Um but it's important and a lot of people like this movie a lot. Like it's got a lot of fans, so Yeah.
0: I think Tarantino's, like, writing in this is actually pretty solid from a dialogue standpoint a lot of times. Um, not in the sense of, like, just just in that coolness factor. I think it's a little weird that he repeats, line, like, it's very, like, um, fan y like, maybe egotistical to repeat lines from his previous movies at times, um, which yeah. he does, but... I think there's a, like a lot of really good shit that's like like funny shit or like you know, I guess you accuse it of being like hip or something like that. But the the whole thing at the end. Um, that damn line about like, you know, uh, when she sits there and says like, what were they like psychos or something? And, um, Seth's lines, do they look like psychos? Like, you know, they're vampires psychos don't explode when sunlight hits them, no matter how fucking crazy they are. Great line. Yeah. Um, good, good. La- and a good laugh line pacing wise to like, kind of end the movie almost. Perfect. Um, I think the sequence at the end where it's like she asks like is like kind of like maybe wants to go with him because she doesn't know what else to do. And he like tells her like, no, he's like, I'm, I might be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. Great line, I think, um, to, to end it on in a very kind of like um, noirish way. Um, <clears throat> because I'm pretty sure what he's doing here is like to some degree, it's like he's inspired a little bit by the getaway because I don't think you have the reference to El Rey. Um, if that, if there isn't some inspiration there, um, with the Gecko brothers, like being on the run and trying to like, you know, um, get down to Mexico and stuff like that. Um, but there's like other, like really good stuff in there. Like, I, like little things that like, I think are really good dialogue wise where she, you can tell like Juliette Lewis is trying to test her father a little bit. Like she's at that age and she doesn't understand why he's like chosen to walk away from the cloth and stuff like that. And she says something like, you know, so you just sit there like one, wake up one day and say, fuck him. Um, And he's like so patient, like, you know, it's like, you know, I didn't say fuck him, you know, and tries to explain himself further. But I, I really like some of that little stuff that goes on between the characters in terms of the dialogue where you get like a sense of like who these people are and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I think the writing is a little bit stronger than it's one of the disagreements I think we have, I think, especially in the first half um the writing's a little bit stronger um and I think there's some really good just like punch lines to like stuff in this. um I love all Cheech's characters,
1: in oh my this god movie. I, one of my least favorite parts is Cheech <laughs> as the the doorman <laughs> it's, it's so it's,
0: grotesque, it's, it's so grotesque, man,
1: right it goes on for way too long, and it's just not funny. <laughs>
0: It's so grotesque. I mean, it to me it establishes the environment of that place perfectly. This this dirty, Lame, filthy, grotesque, <laughs> <place>.
1: childish, immature.
0: <laughs> Maybe um, you might be right, but um, I, I think it establishes the titty twister perfectly. Um,
1: Even that name. I mean, it's it's so. I don't know. It's like Tarantino is capable of such great things at this point in time but he can like just be such a fucking like 15 year old nerd nerd you know what i mean and yeah. it's like it's just i don't know it never it's it's never funny to me it's always yeah. lame in my opinion like i never find that stuff to be particularly amusing so i don't know i think that's part of the problem too
0: yeah like yeah i mean maybe that maybe that kind of gets it kind of nails like you know um what I can still enjoy about it and, and see where it's fun. And like, because you dislike like that, like juvenile, like sense of humor um, so much that, uh, yeah, I can see that. Um, interesting thing before we move on is I didn't know this is he was, um, this was Tarantino's first paid script that he ever wrote. Um, and he, the guy that um, hired him, I think it's Robert Kurtzman, um, that hired him to write it initially saw this movie as a basically follow-up in Tales from the Crypt um, as a follow-up to Demon Knight and then once the script comes in he's like okay like now this doesn't work this has got to be its own thing and commissions Bordello Blood um, to be written um, which is uh, by the originally he hired Tarantino kind of to like write the second tales from the crypt movie. And this is what he produced and they ended up spinning it off. Um, One last thing, because I think you'll agree with, I hope you'll agree with me here because if you don't, I think um, we have to stop being friends. The first 10 minutes of this movie is a really great opening fucking scene. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite, maybe one of my favorite openings, like of all time, like in terms of like a, non-serious like you know movie you, um,
1: i think and not just because of um what's his name uh, michael parks but right i i think you see a lot of what becomes kill bill in that opening scene like you see the genesis of tarantino's ability to like create that scene and like hold that scene in terms of like the dialogue and the pacing and everything and rodriguez directs it really well i mean it's it's good yeah. like yeah
0: and, and and a young john hawks at this point like just like fucking nailing the clerk um uh uh well, pete um nailing that pete stuff like in both terms in terms of the humor and like the the just like the, the the play acting and the frustration like it just nails like all of that stuff in this right. kind of manic way that i think is really good and i think there's like cool ass shit in there um again do you want to make these characters seem cool when they're really pieces of shit i mean but like him like sitting there kicking like the like kicking so that like the fucking toilet paper like drops down to his hand like you know and like i think that like the action stuff there is just fucking awesome yeah
1: it's really well done yeah that's something that rodriguez is really good at is filming yeah like realistic not realistic but like hyper realistic like gun violence. I mean he's Mm -hmm. um maybe maybe next to John Woo like the best in the nineties at um Mm. at doing that. Yeah. I mean Desperado and um a mariachi are both pretty brilliant in that respect. Right.
0: Yeah. Um all right let's go ahead Um, so number three on your list I I got something out of you that um, that we can agree on in terms of liking about that movie so we'll move on Um,
1: I agree with you in the dialogue some of the dialogue like that stuff at the end is really good
0: yeah All right, so number three on your list is The Frighteners, directed by Peter Jackson. It stars Michael J. Fox, Trina Alvarado, Peter Dobson, John Astin, D. Wallace, Jeffrey Combs, Shy McBride, Jake Busey. There's a few others that I'm not including on here. A lot of good actors, though, in it. 65% from critics, 71% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why you have it on the list?
1: Um, So Michael J. Fox uh, plays a... A con man who um, can see and communicate with the dead, with the spirits of the dead, um, and uses them to convince people that their houses are haunted. And then he comes in and basically utilizes a toaster oven to pull um, the quote unquote spirits out and like whatever. Um, You find out through the course of the movie that he's um, still kind of suffering because of the death of his wife five years previous um she had died in a car accident and he had woken with like no memory of what happened um a car accident where he was driving um he becomes involved with uh, lucy and her husband ray um because he <laughs> basically wrecks his car in um ray's front lawn and destroys his um garden gnomes um ray is later um killed uh by having his heart crushed by this um at that point unseen spirit that is sort of like uh caped like the grim reaper. Um Lucy and uh Michael J. Fox um kind of build like like start to develop a relationship. Uh she reveals that she was unhappy with Ray. Um but then every like I guess all hell breaks loose because this um this mass creature is like going around and carving numbers in people's heads and then murdering them. Um, and Michael J Fox is getting blamed for like pretty much all of it. Um, it turns out in the end, well, after a lot of like other things happen, um, that there was a serial killer. Uh, what is it? John, Johnny Bartlett or something like that. I think is the name. It's, um, the Jake beauty character. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, you're right. Johnny Bartlett. Yep. um, who has been able to escape from hell and has come back to continue serial killing along with um uh, his now older girlfriend from when he was um, uh, put to death, um, who at first appears to be this like meek, um, sort of like receding like mouse kind of character, um, but is really a psychopath too that's like helping him kill like find his victims and kill them um michael j fox ends up getting basically like frozen to death um so he can go and fight jake Busey. and as he's about to have his moment of victory he gets brought back to life so then they have to go and basically go to the um, sanitarium where all these original murders were committed and fight um the older patricia i think is her name the older um psychopath woman and jake busey um is this ghost and that's it they win jake busey and the woman get dragged to hell which i actually like even though the cgi is kind of goofy like i like that scene a lot Mm -hmm. and that's like so i really love the concept of this movie like i really like the idea of like the the con man who can actually see ghosts Yep. Um. And it's not really like a one-to-one comparison, but it's almost like, like a Peter Venkman, like solo movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, um, not that they have this anything similar in terms of personality, because Michael J. Fox's character is, um, he is sardonic, but he's also like really depressed, and yeah, you can tell like he's just kind of like broken and just using mm-hmm. this power he has to earn money. Um, but I think a really solid performance from Fox. Um, especially kind of sad because this is right before sort of like the big decline in his ability to act. Yeah. Um, Where he's still Michael J. Fox here, like still like self-assured and cool. And you can see elements of, you know, Marty McFly. Sorry. And the way that he carries himself or Alex P Keaton or whatever. Yeah um you can see the parkins is a little bit in this though a little bit yeah yeah it's that's that's one of the sad parts of watching yeah like seeing like what's eventually going to happen to him Uh um my two favorite actors in this movie are the are jeffrey combs as a um i don't even know what you would call it not even misogynistic but like um like he's just terrified of women this Yes. Almost like it's like uh Agent Cooper and um uh are, like combined into one character. <sighs>
0: right.
1: And then like cranked up to like the most ridiculous extreme in terms of like his paranoia and his conspiracy theorism. Mm-hmm. Um and Jake Busey as um the uh Barnett like serial killer character. Like I think he does a I think he definitely channels his dad a lot um
0: i think i think a lot of the actors are in this are good i i agree that those two stand out um they're my,
1: they're, they're my favorite performances i like everybody that plays the ghosts
0: yeah the shy mcbride um, i really like a lot i love yeah. john Aston as the judge um john
1: Aston's great mm-hmm. um it's it's a shame i i don't know like when um what's his name arlie Ermy, uh who plays mm-hmm. um a former like marine whatever um who's in charge of the graveyard in town it's it's hard to watch him now because that character has been so i don't know like done to death over the past 20 some years um whereas this was one of the first times like after full metal jacket that i had seen him reprise that role so it was actually pretty cool like seeing this in the theater and seeing him do that character in um 1996 Mm -hmm. whereas now you're just kind of like eh, like okay like right I get it early army like that's your that's your thing um i'm not a huge fan and i think you agree with this i i don't a hundred percent like the way the ghosts look and i'm not a huge fan of the idea that they're like sometimes the environment can interact with them and sometimes they can't
0: mm-hmm.
1: like i don't think that the rules are well established enough Right. Um. And there's a little too much slapstick, like wrapped into that, um, especially with like when Michael J. Fox is quote unquote killed, and he's going to try and save Lucy from getting killed by the um, uh, the serial killer ghost. Um. He gets run over by a truck, and he gets like tire marks in his chest and stuff. And it's like, okay, like I, we get it. Um. But beyond that, like I think that it actually works really well as a horror movie. Um, I think that it was destroyed by its marketing that made it look like a straight comedy. And I think it's probably a lot less comedy than it is horror, or at least like 60-40 maybe, whereas the trailers made it seem like it was like a straight-out comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it it got an R rating, right? Because of the amount of... um...
0: I have to do another search for that, because as Bledsoe pointed out, um, Wikipedia never tells you the MPAA ratings for um anything and that's
1: what you should have pulled up yeah i like the performances i like the screenplay overall um one of the last it is r-rated um one of the last peter jackson movies that i really enjoy um and on the heels of my favorite peter jackson movie and heavenly creatures right um and
0: he actually casts um, Linsky um, in that small role as uh, the deputy. Um, yeah. In this.
1: yeah.
0: And, and the main female's last name is Linsky as well.
1: Um, this is the thing with this movie that's hard to explain. Like now is like, you know, I loved Heavenly Creatures, Meet the Feebles, Bad Taste. Like I really liked Jackson as a director in 1996, and to have this guy who was. Like, really a niche director that, like, a lot of people didn't know about, like, directing this major motion picture. Um, it was just really cool to see. And it was really dumb of them to put it up against Independence Day, because this is the summer of Independence Day, where, I mean, that movie was out, like, friggin' months to stay in the theater. Um, and people didn't really still, like, people didn't particularly care about horror quite yet at this point. So it wasn't like it was drawing a whole bunch of people in. It was just a almost like a perfect storm of like reasons why I think this movie wasn't more successful than it was. But I really enjoy it. I enjoyed it um more this time around. I think this is the I
0: think I've seen this now two and a half times. This is basically the first time I've watched it all the way through. Um since I first saw it. And um, where you'd mentioned, like, you know, tonally about, like, From Dust Till Dawn, I feel that way, but this movie, like, tonally, like, it, it, it it's, it, I think it's pretty well paced overall. Um, and it has so many moving parts to it. There's so many different characters that, like, constantly something's going on. And I think that works really well for Fox, who really thrives in situations where there's a lot going on that he can play off of um, because he, he himself can be so manic at times in that kind of, like you said, Alex P. Keaton, like, you know, Marty McFly type way. Sure. Um, I think he works really well there. And so I like Michael, Fo- Michael Fox in this, but it's like, and I like a lot of the actors and I think they all do good jobs. It's just like, ultimately, like, I, I'm left wanting more, like, out of this. Like, and I, and I don't understand why, tonally it is the way that it is because it is a really serious concept but then it's undercut so often with the comedy that like I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling or doing or thinking at any given point in the movie and I and so I just walk away kind of confused even though I'm not like I don't hate it or I don't even dislike it I just walk away kind of just like I don't know why I'm watched that or I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from it like even
1: I mean, I like it as a murder mystery. I think it does a good job with... Um, yeah. I think they're both pretty memorable characters. Um, the two... Um, I can't remember what her name is, but um, the Jake Busey character and the D... What's her name? D. Wallace something? D. Wall-
0: D Wallace. Um, yeah. She goes by something else now. D. Wallace Stone. Um, but yeah, D. Wallace's a character, uh, Patricia.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean... I love the opening with the the black and white footage of like um the murders and him being hauled out and like the way they film it is just really um really cap- captures like the psychosis in his eyes. Um I think the fact that it starts as a horror comedy and ends as a horror comedy like it stays consistent um in that vibe the whole way through. I mean that's just what Jackson was into like
0: yeah,
1: you know, dead alive or brain dead whatever you want to call it like that's yeah. You know that movie's like a pure horror comedy, right I know you don't really find Meet the Feebles like humorous, but Meet the Feebles is kind of like almost a horror comedy, right sure more know. comedy than I get that horror. um
0: just about the special effects in here the special effects are extremely impressive for the time period, um like extremely impressive, and I mean the and there's a direct link with Peter Jackson between like. This and Lord of the Rings, because basically, he um he starts this like this uh it's his own like uh, company that he starts for the special effects and everything, and uses like his own company, um and it largely is what ends up getting him the job directing Lord of the Rings and makes him the name that he is today. So, um, it's 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 pivotal for that, but I swear to God, I watched. I had to watch Return the King recently, um, and I see the beginning of that with Gollum, and I can see directly how Gollum and the look of the ghosts in this, sure, are so related.
1: I mean, it's Weta or however you say Weta, whatever that studio. I mean, this is like one of their earliest, maybe even their first. It's their first, Yeah. yeah. So I like that's. them just i guess learning the the only thing like i i don't know it's hard to explain like i i like the idea that the ghosts are like translucent um and i think there's some like psych gags that are really cool with the ghosts Mm
0: -hmm. i'm
1: not a huge fan of the way the reaper looks like when it's like jumping across buildings and stuff right um because i think it looks kind of more phony than anything else in the movie Mm -hmm. if that makes sense
0: yeah, I but I, I
1: just—I mean, I don't know—I—I I, I really enjoyed this movie. I yeah. loved it when I saw it in the theater. Um, I was so excited for Peter Jackson to direct Lord of the Rings, and then a lot of it came from the frighteners, like that man, like this dude can like do serious and. Yeah, I don't know. Like,
0: and then and then and then you get the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So right, and then and, I had to watch it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you have to do it again.
1: Um. Mm -hmm. So take it. Just one. Just one of them, right?
0: Just, just one of them. Yeah, you have to watch it. Um, how the fuck do I know this and you don't? Come on, come
1: on. Oh no, no, no! I thought there was something I forgot about. Uh, I thought I'd watch all of them again or something.
0: Oh, you'll still have to watch them all again someday. Um, it's inevitable.
1: Get me nervous.
0: (laughs) Um. Yeah. Michael J. Fox really good in this. A lot of the actors are really good in it. There's some funny stuff. Like, you know, it's a fun, well paced movie overall. Just don't understand it.
1: <laughs> it reminds me of Cemetery Man, too, in a lot of ways, um, in the way that it's filmed. Like, just the look of it and whatnot. I can see that. Yeah. All right. Complete this one. Guy, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Combs, like ripping open his shirt and being like, I am a roadmap of pain. Right. <laughs> I, and then he's like, man. and then the car. starts like, am, "Am I doing this? Am I moving this car with my powers?" Yeah, hilarious, man. Jeffrey Jeffrey I love Jeffrey. Jeffrey that
0: that character is the best thing in the entire movie. Yeah, um, agreed. <laughs>
1: um,
0: he's really underrated. He he can do he can do a lot of. He's his comedy chops are really underrated because even like his like like reanimator there's so much funny stuff in that like that's more subtle i think um that's that's so funny like he just really is a master like in terms of like especially his like, spatial expressions and stuff <sighs> all right <laughs> all right number two on your list is the craft directed by andrew fleming stars robert tunney fruza nev campbell rachel true skeet Ulrich has a 57% from critics, a 65% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the movie and uh, why it's number two on the list?
1: Didn't even mention Meyer man.
0: Nobody wants to talk about Meyer
1: that's, that's the unsung hero of uh, the 1990s. <laughs> um, I don't know what to call it. Like Supernatural uh, Teenage Coming-of-Age movie. Um, Robin Tunney plays Sarah, who's a recent transplant to this um, small, uh, I guess, or a Catholic school, parochial school, whatever, um, where she has some trouble fitting in, but she gets together with this trio of um, sort of like outcasts uh, Ferozabalk, Nev Campbell, and um, what's her name? True Wilson? Rachel True. Rachel True. Um, where they're all witches uh but where robin Tunney actually has like some inherent power before she meets these women um they form a coven and they start to explore like their powers which is which basically involves like using glamours to trick people and um cause things to happen to people that they don't like uh skeet ulrich is a um slimy like bottle dyed football captain who spreads false rumors about uh sarah um and as a result she causes him to fall in love with her um where he becomes obsessed with her to the point of like losing his life eventually um so they sort of start to grow apart because the fruits of all character starts doing more and more extreme things um including leading to the death of the skeet character um whereas robin or robin Tunney. um Sarah just wants to like Kind of pull back from using the power um, So they Turn against her and they start to Come after her But it turns out that she has all this Inherent power anyway because she's a natural Witch and she's able to You know Kind of give them all their, their comeuppance Their karma or whatever um, And that's it um, Went to this movie can't remember who i saw i saw this with a girl who really wanted to see it i can't remember who um i believe we may have hooked school because i think this came out in like the end of she may have hooked school i think i i was in college and i think i hooked class to go see it um but really impressed with it like much more than i thought i would be um i like fruza bulk a lot especially around this time um robin tunney is maybe the least emotive actress like ever um (laughs) nev campbell was like super popular at this point in time because of party of five um but really i kind of didn't expect anything from it and so i was really pleasantly surprised i like um how serious it treats the witchcraft aspect Mm -hmm. like it's not like jokey goofy witchcraft it's like serious like summonings and whatever the whole thing with like um i guess that they had a consultant on set who was a wiccan that like made sure that they were um quote-unquote true to life when dealing with the the witchcraft angle of it um i think it's pretty cleverly written um it's got sort of a kevin williamson air to it in a lot of ways um not quite as hip as Kevin Williamson at the time, but still like pretty good. Uh, good representations of um, teenagers, I think. Um, definitely an interesting like early that like feminist revolution of like girl power and stuff. I mean, I think this is a good example of like strong female characters, and basically like the only strong characters in the movies are the the women in it. Mm-hmm um no no i I just i I like it a lot it's a movie that i have always had a lot of affection for and i don't really think about it like super often but when i do i always have fond memories and i've probably like three or four times i think since it came out since i watched it that first day in the theater Hmm.
0: this is only the second time i watched it um and i watched it i guess when it came out on video and probably i guess 97 at that point and um yeah, I mean i I hadn't watched it since never really cared to didn't I liked it when I was you know a teenager but um great right. and it held up I mean it surprisingly holds up it holds up almost like oddly well um even today and I think it's because a lot of the things that a lot of the things that it's doing is actually way ahead of its time
1: agreed and it's again it's a very definitely like early example of I would have to say like this and Clueless maybe Um, Mm -hmm. around the same time period of like the the proto-feminists kind of then the mantle was picked up by stuff like Legally Blonde or whatever where it's strong female characters that aren't quote unquote saved by a man basically like Mm -hmm. it allows a strong female character to just be like a strong character Um, it's an interesting look at like bullies and you know um like the culture of like cliques and whatever in the high school mm-hmm. level um and just how this is going to be a really odd analogy for anybody that doesn't know us but um it's always the analogy i make to uh the aew guys like when they were on the indie circuit and they were looking at all these popular people like oh well we would never treat people like that or you know we would we would do a better job but then as soon as you get the power like how do you actually use it and in a lot right. of ways you become worse than the people you criticize in the first place that's, good. that's a that's some interpretation yeah go ahead deep analogy mm-hmm. um so, so i don't mean, know i don't know if you know this
0: this is uh, because of you know friend of mine that you know we both know i guess friend of ours but it's like um this is really big in the lesbian community. Um, like this movie, like super big. Um, and what it, wh- what it seems like the kind of like strategy, like the mindset of, of this is, is that because it's all women and like you said, it is like very like feminist in nature, I think. Um, like this proto-feminist like movie. Um, they kind of strip it down to the idea of being non Um, and that you know, witchcraft becomes a symbol for lesbianism. Um, Mm. and Frouza Balk is already out as a witch, you know, and like you know, Robin Tony's character is questioning her identity. And you know, um, I mean, look, it all falls like if you think it through, it all falls apart because basically it says like conform, (laughs) um, by the end of this movie, and that non conformity is dangerous. Um, so the analogy falls apart, but um that's why it seems to be big like in in the in the lesbian community is i
1: i think it's also sort of like quietly implied and i think that because of i mean obviously you know we're a little more open-minded as a society in 96 but not quite there i think it's implied that rochelle and bonnie the nev campbell and um rachel true characters are lesbians Mm. um so when they're in the when they're doing the circle thing, where it's like um, holding the knife, like you would do better to rush upon this knife, right? Than to betray the, than to enter the circle with fear in your heart. And it's like, whatever I'm open my whatever the thing is. Um, Bonnie and Rochelle actually kiss mouth to mouth when that happens, and then mm-hmm. everybody else does like the side like right side of the cheek thing, but they yeah. like actually kiss each other. Sure. And I thought it was interesting. Like, I wonder if that's just a slight, slightly subtle. Right. Like you're supposed to take them as being, you know, right. Like gay. Without yeah. them being say that, you know. And look, I, I
0: don't know if it's completely incorrect to think that like I'm saying they're saying like they're kind of like, you know, this is how they interpret it, but it's like there there are some signs. It's like if the mom walks in at one point, it's like, what's going on in here? you know and it's like they're doing magic right <laughs> like i mean um and it's not like you know whedon picks up on whedon obviously picks up on the idea of like magic and lesbianism at some point you know i mean um and, and the ways that you could like use that to um you know make a, a metaphor like um <clears throat> so yeah i mean it, it's it's interesting um although i do find the ending really confusing because basically it would end up being that what everybody's back in the closet And the one that's out is in a straight jacket. (laughs) Like, well, and and if you watch the sequel to this that just came out last year, um, actually got like knocked up. Uh (laughs) So,
1: so Sarah is out and proud, kind of. She's just more controlled, like she's not flaunting it all over the place. But she definitely is like using her powers and still in tune with who she is um the other two have kind of you know they're sort of outed in their own way as just being like not really invested in the whole thing like they're whatever willing to just go back to their lives um the fruza ball character yeah i mean she's had all of her power taken away from her at that point so right right she's Um, been sealed and
0: yeah i didn't want to take us down like this road necessarily i just thought it was interesting that it is like this like not only is it like a feminist like you know uh, a movie that feminists like you know kind of go back to it's also a movie that the lgbt community community goes back to um but yeah but it deals with a lot of things racism like it deals with like like you said bullying it deals with it deals with like so many like social issues date date rape Date right yep um yeah yeah i mean so much um and um and I the and stratification
1: that's... of class yep um yep. economic stratification like within like a school community sure yeah I think it's funny that um fuck um uh Christine Taylor um so apparently that character wasn't the Rochelle character wasn't originally written as a black woman it was only when Rachel True was cast that they changed the hmm. um. The script to include that racism, mm-hmm. but man, Christina, what's her name? Uh, Sitwell, Sally Sitwell.
0: So said, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, just super, super vicious. Yes, yes. Is this a pubic hair in my lunch or no? Uh-huh. It's just yeah, yeah. shells.
0: Yeah. yeah, Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, um, but equally like terrifying, like with her in the shower um, with all of her fucking hair. Like, oh right, yeah. Like, falling out and everything um no nah, good movie still holds up um i was actually really surprised by how well it still holds up um honestly yeah i was
1: still very entertained by it yeah i really liked it a lot
0: um so as a segue um the two of the principles like in this movie um and the show me up in the first movie as well ned campbell and skeet ark um which is one of only like two times this has ever happened um, like ever where we've had like one actor um, like show up on like the same list twice. Um, Oddly it's going to happen next month for the horror list too. But uh, in this case we have two, um, which just shows their popularity, I guess, at the time, like, you know, among Hollywood, Hollywood types, but uh, they are both in the number one movie on the list this year Scream directed by Wes Craven uh features Nev Campbell, uh also stars David Arquette, courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Steve Arrick, Rose McGowan, Jay McKennedy. As a 79% from critics, 79% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie? Um, for those that might not um know have never seen this. I, I can't imagine if you're listening to this, you've never seen this movie. But um, if you haven't, you should probably just stop listening to us and go watch it. Um, but you want to tell us a little about the movie and um Kind of like not only tell us what you like about it, but uh, kind of get into this conversation about like why this is so important. I
1: mean, it's arguably the most important horror movie of the past, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Uh, maybe even longer than that. Maybe like the most important horror movie since Halloween. <laughs> um, by and large, like if you just look at it by its plot points, um it's a pretty standard slasher in a lot of ways um someone's murdering teenagers in this town um there's a lot of red herrings as to who that person could be um they all seem to center around uh, this young girl played by Nev campbell um whose mother um was murdered like it was, was it a year before or five years before? One
0: year one year before. It all takes place one like the main story takes place one year to the day of her death. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so Sydney is a Nev Campbell character. Um, sort of protected by her group of friends, and then they go to this party, but the killer's at the party. Um, and it leaves you guessing like up until close to the end as to who the killer is. Um I hate to spoil it if they haven't seen it, but I mean I would think like you said, I would the, right. I
0: stop and go watch it because it's never
1: all... seen Scream right. Like yeah. just pause now and go watch the movie and then come back. Sure. Right. Um so the killers being Skeet Alrich and Matthew Lillard, who were two of the principal like protagonists in the movie, being um sure. Nev Campbell's boyfriend and Skeet Alrich and um Rose McGowan's boyfriend and Matthew Lillard. Um and really, like, calling into focus, like, this whole, like, disaffected youth. Um, they're just bored and they're just looking for thrills kind of thing. Right. Where there's no, like, real reason for them to murder people. They just, well, I guess, like, Skeet Albert has sort of a reason. But it's more or less just that they just want to, like, they enjoy the, the thrill of, like, killing other people. Um, and their plan is to stab each other. So it looks like um, it was Sidney's father who was the murderer. And they can get away with it, um, leading to one of the best lines in the movie, which is um, "Fuck, how does Matthew Lillard say it?" Oh, I think you stabbed me too deep, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I'm yeah. bleeding an awful lot. Fo-
0: f- followed by the telephone line, which is my favorite thing. Is like you when he's me? in there bleeding out. It's like and Skeetar throws the telephone in the back of his head. It's like, why'd you hit me the Oh, <laughs> Dick? Fucking hilarious. Um, Matthew Lillard's a fucking treasure in this movie he really
1: is so to go back to the beginning of the movie and kind of like talk about why it's so important Um, it starts with like one of the most basic like urban legend slash like slasher movie tropes which is um, the killer calling the victim and taunting the victim over the phone and slowly like revealing things where you the viewer realize that the killer is like closer than um, it seems, and um, casting Drew Barrymore, yes, um, in this role, who at the time, outside of Nev Campbell, probably the most recognizable actor in the movie. Um, and Nev Campbell was recognizable through, I mean, obviously, she'd been in the craft and um, she was famous through Party of Five, but mostly everybody else, this is like early yeah. roles for them,
0: yeah, except for Courtney Cox, yeah.
1: Um, i'm more talking about like the teenage but yeah you're gotcha, right yeah um gotcha, so yeah. casting this child star in this role and you had mentioned this in terms of like *Dust to dawn I, I guess you said it off air you didn't really say it on air, but like and comparing it to psycho where you have like your expectation is one thing and then they completely mm-hmm. subverted so drew barrymore getting killed in the beginning of this movie was yes. startling to say the least yeah, like you really felt like this was gonna be your final girl, who's gonna survive throughout the movie, but to just like murder her straight up in the beginning. And a, and, a, and a
0: happy accident, I found out after we talked about this, and like how brilliant like this opening is, um, is that she was originally going to be Cady Prescott and had to back out, and but still wanted to work in the movie, and they decided to make her the girl in the beginning, uh, the Casey character. Um, which I think again doesn't just a happy coincidence, but still a stroke of fucking genius to like you know keep her in the movie and make it seem like she's the she's the heroine of the movie, and then like have her fucking die twelve minutes in. Um, brilliant, like, so and brilliant. The, and how iconic that opening is. Like, think about how well filmed and paced that fucking beginning is.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's, it's amazing.
0: Like, and like the lines that come from it, like, you know, I want to play a game, you know, Um, what's your favorite scary movie, like, like, that, like, and Barrymore's acting for those, like, 12 minutes of going from like, kind of like beboppy, like, you know, like, I'm going to make some popcorn like I'm waiting for my boyfriend like you know like oh I'm going to play along with this guy and flirt like a little bit and then it just like the sheer terror and panic that like slowly starts to creep in acts it perfectly
1: yeah it's really good
0: makes you um, believe it I mean
1: one of the other great things about this movie too is the fact that it's completely meta in its approach to Horror is a genre where all the horror movies that we've seen exist in this universe. Like there's no it almost like it immediately breaks the fourth wall wall by placing it really in the real world, in the sense that you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and Halloween, like all these movies are real movies that people watch and enjoy and know. Um and sort of like is an interesting look at the whole can movies like that really inspire people to kill? Idea, um, to the point where there's been people that have said that they've been inspired by Scream, um, to go out and right. uh, commit crimes and murders and whatever. But the amount of I don't even want to call them in jokes, but the amount of like subtle references that Craven puts in this movie, um, including one of my favorite ones, which is the um, him is Freddy, the yeah, janitor, the janitor, uh huh um with the striped sweater and the hat and mm-hmm. um i don't know I, th- I think that's really clever
0: that is and so is the um rose mcgallum line of um like something about a west carpenter flick
1: <laughs> no it's, it's, it's a west carpenter book with, okay <laughs> that, yeah, it's so like really all those west carpenter books that we right. read uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's really good uh-huh. um i think she's great in it i think the nev campbell's really good in it mm-hmm. um I will always think of Skeet Ulrich as the poor man's Johnny Depp.
0: Oh, um, absolutely! I think he was cast entirely for that reason,
1: and like they dipped him in oil and then cast him because mm-hmm. he is constantly, yeah, just like a grease ball. But Matthew Lillard is fantastic in this movie. Yeah, um, Jamie Kennedy, I think, works okay as sort of like that, um, that uh, almost proxy character for the viewer where. He's the one that knows the rules of horror and he's the one that's um, ends up like living through the end because I guess it's implied that he's the virgin really out of everybody. Um, Some really some really inventive kills in this movie um, really filmed. Well, Um, I think it's I think it's both like bold and hilarious to have your killers be so inept like to Mm -hmm. the point where Rose McGowan almost like escapes just by like throwing bottles at, at his dick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I like it's. It's one of the few movies where I really like David Arquette. Um, I think yes. Courtney Cox is fantastic in it, mm-hmm. and and kind of in relation to The Craft too. I mean, here's a movie where your most capable characters are the women characters in the movie. Absolutely. Um, which is definitely like not not only like a big callback to like those early slasher movies of the 70s and early 80s but also kind of like flying in the face of um at the time modern filmmaking by letting like a female character be like the person that has the power in the in the film and doesn't need to be saved by a guy um Mm -hmm.
0: and think about like the finally breaking the trope in this movie which they mention obviously like breaking the trope about the virgin being the one that like you know survives
1: Right, exactly.
0: You know, which is I think important as well. Um, oh shit, what did you just say that I wanted to just pick up more quickly? Um, damn it, I can't remember now. Um, yeah, skied Ulrich is who who's a guy who has become just this middling c to d level actor throughout the rest of his career i think is I, I know lillard's the charismatic one of the funny one and everything i i actually really think ski rawrick nails this
1: he does he has that um i don't know what you call it like unctuous bad boy element to him but like the bad boy with the heart of gold that the this woman like loves but then is he? He's he's not a bad boy. He's he's like actually a good guy. But then he really is like the worst. I don't know. Right. Um,
0: yeah. And I I think he just nails like all the complexity of all of it. Um. Oh, I know what it was. Okay, you said about the killers being inept. I agree with you about like them being inept. But there's also like these signs at times where they kind of look badass. And I'm thinking specifically of the the most badass thing that happens in this movie from the killer which is wiping the goddamn blood off the knife like Wait, the, blood, the, the blood wipe like when when that like that is one of those badass things that like I've ever seen in a horror movie is like the guy holding up the knife and putting his fucking gloved hand on and wiping the blood off as he continues stalking it's fucking awesome and what it is is it's not that it's they're trying to look cool like because they're so fucking inspired. Like I, I I thought about that. And it's like, why would you tr- when when they are like an ept and like you know, they're like, you know, in the bathroom scene and how an EPT the killer is in the bathroom and everything like that. Like, why would you do this? And it's like because they're trying to look cool. They think I, they're cool.
1: Yeah. And you know, some way I like that's that's the whole thing is just I don't know. Like it's all it, I guess, really. And then So
0: This leads into cool. a revival, right?
1: Sure. So this movie is successful enough where number one, it spawns, you know, sequels in its sure. own universe. Um it spawns imitators in terms of like I know what you did last summer. Um a bunch of reboots at this point start to happen, like the fog and um it also sort of rejuvenates the video market for um, horror films and i i honestly think the scream is one of the reasons why you see so much japanese horror and asian horror get imported to america Mm. um because people started to like well we're we've invested nothing in horror for the past decade so we have to find somewhere to like pull our ideas from and i think that that's part of the reasons why you see The Ring and the Grudge and Dark Water, and um, Mm. all these movies like not only come out in America on DVD, you know, in their original form, but also get reimagined as English language films and then get produced. Um, Not all of them successfully, you know, but there's um, Scream is really like Scream is the reason that you can go and watch a horror movie pretty much at any given time in the theater today where that was not true um 25 years ago like that would have been very difficult before scream came out right i mean again like the craft wasn't even really marketed as a horror movie the craft is marketed as party of five basically but with witches i mean it's right, right. and there's some very intense stuff in the craft which is done really well but people were always they wanted to be tongue-in-cheek and i think maybe that's one of the things with like both Dust dawn and Um, The Frighteners is that it wasn't okay yet to be, like, super serious about your horror. Like, you had to, like, Mm -hmm. almost apologize for it by making things funny. And um, not to say there isn't stuff in Scream that's, like, super clever, but it's not apologizing for anything. I mean, that movie's very much a straightforward...
0: Well, that's the brilliant thing about it, is it's just a fucking slasher movie. Right. (laughs) But it does so many just new things with the meta nature of all of it and some of the commentary on the past maybe sexist tropes of you know the the previous generation of movies that he himself like was engaged in to some degree like I mean it's it's such an interesting movie and such a such a study of um of like what went wrong ultimately that led to all these sequels that we've been like you know referencing that are just so bad um and and this just like breathes new life into everything it really does by acknowledging it
1: um shit i mean it created a a whole subgenre of comedy films in terms of like the scary movie franchise you know what's fascinating
0: um, do you know this the original title of the movie was scary movie
1: yeah yeah. yeah um I don't know. It's just, it's, it, it, like I loved horror, but even I, like, had kind of fallen out of watching horror, Mm -hmm. especially new horror at this time, because there really just wasn't anything there. I mean, you would get like direct to video schlock, and that was always difficult to tell, like, what was worth anything. So being able to go and sit in an actual auditorium and watch horror on like a big screen was, um, was pretty nice and I I felt the same way about Frighteners um, six months before Mm -hmm. it's just that unfortunately nobody else did like I remember I think I think it was he'll have to correct me but I think it was me and Zeke and Chuck and somebody else went to see Frighteners on opening night and there was like nobody in that theater and it was so disappointing that like man like here's your chance to see this movie and nobody's going to see it so I don't know right
0: um. Yeah, I honestly i didn't i didn't see this until it came out on VHS. Um, I think I saw that and Frighteners in the exact same place, which was my uh, my friend Wesley's uh, living room, like um, at his house. Like you know, both uh, both, right. both of those movies. That I think I saw them there. <laughs> um, I can't remember where I saw The Craft, but it's like, but I wasn't like going to a theater to watch horror, even though I was going to the theater every single week at this point. Like I was going to the theater almost every single week. Bledsoe and I were going to the theater like most weeks, I would say at this point. Um, but I wasn't going to see horror. Like um, shit. I what ninety six? Is this? I was probably going to see the Englishman who went up a hill became down a mountain or something. Um, like I, I, I have one game I want to play with you um, to prove a point like with this movie and then but i i wanted to make one argument for another argument for this movie um is how well the mystery aspect of this movie how well they do it
1: oh it's brilliant
0: i like because it's like you think because i really what made me think of it was how funny i think henry winkler is in this um but there's a moment with the henry winkler stuff where he's like so menacing. It's like the most menacing I've ever seen Henry Winkler in my entire life when he's like yelling at those kids. And it's because they're trying to make you think that he's like way oh, sure. over oh, way over the top. Don't get me wrong. It's like they're telegraphing it too much, maybe, but it's like they're trying to make you think maybe he could be the killer. But M- it's like there's right. There's so many people they try to make you think they could be the killer and do it perfectly to where you sit there and think he could be.
1: Yeah, it's um it's pretty fascinating to watch and it's um Craven just I don't know being at the top of his game in a lot of ways. And when being you being able to And on a rewatch, the
0: killers, it doesn't disappoint you knowing who the killers are. True. Now, why is that, do you think?
1: Because there's elements of them. There's elements in a lot of things that happen between those two characters, um, the Ulrich and the Lillard character, where when you know that it's them, you're like, yeah, of course. Like, man, these guys are just like, they're not even bullies. They're just like sadistic in the way they like talk to people and treat their friends. And um, there's the scene where uh, Lillard is talking to Jamie Kennedy in the video store um, and they're having a conversation, and Jamie Kennedy basically says that um, uh, he thinks that... What's his name? Billy Billy Preston, right? Is that the Skeet Allrich character's yeah. name? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's Billy Preston really did do it, and then Billy's standing behind him, and it's like they get really close to him, and there's almost like... A
0: Loomis. Billy Loomis, sorry.
1: Billy Loomis, right. That makes sure. more sense. Sure. Um, a forced, uncomfortable intimacy there. Including, Mm -hmm. like, Lillard just, like, casually, like, playing with his ear, like, twiddling his ear, and it's, like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. That just feels, like, so Mm -hmm. creepy and unnecessary, and, like, you you can see it. Like, you can see in their eyes and see in their actions. Right. Of course it's these two. Like, how do you not, like, recognize it, like, that early? Right.
0: Right. Right. Right um no but it's,
1: I, it's because it's mostly because Lillard is just so charming mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like is that and he's an asshole but he's a charming asshole
0: right and they play with like um like the the auric stuff so much where it's like they 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 plot it so that Ulrich is discounted as the killer so early even if he is kind of a creep like they discount it so early that you really don't, they go so over the top with him so early that you don't suspect him. Right. Like, and you don't suspect him ever again. Like, it's like, I swear watching it, I've seen this movie like at least a dozen times, but it's like, every single time I've seen it, it's like, it's like you still don't suspect him like after like they've basically spent a third of the movie like, you know, building him maybe it's it's probably him it may be him and then you know it's not gonna be him because it's the third way through the movie and like they eliminate him as a suspect and you never think about him again right like it's it's so brilliantly crafted
1: <laughs> well yeah and it's i mean it's their plan is like actually a pretty brilliant plan mm-hmm. in like the context of the film of like if i'm in jail and i'm the main suspect and somebody else gets killed like no one's gonna suspect me anymore right like that's right. what frees me, and then who's going to suspect us because we have no motive, right? To kill any of these people, so mm-hmm.
0: okay, yeah. No, it's so, just
1: it's um. Oh, go ahead. Your game. So here's
0: here's here's here here's the thing I want to game. So I already told you that like you know um, originally Drew Barrymore signed on to play Sydney Prescott and blah blah. blah. Um, there's too much commitment. She like stepped back. So then they want to go cast Sydney. So I and. So here's the other actresses that are like that are well known that were are like highlighted, um, that auditioned or were asked to come audition or like possibly take the role. Alicia Witt. Mm, okay. Brittany
1: Murphy. Okay. Reese
0: Witherspoon. Could any of those actresses you see of being as good as Ned Campbell?
1: Yeah, Reese Witherspoon would have been.
0: Yeah, you think so?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think that Reese Witherspoon would have captured, um, like the naivete of Sydney, but also the like brokenness, and really kind of Nev Campbell has that lot during this time period. Um, I think Brittany Murphy is just not the right casting. Like I think that Brittany Murphy is definitely a better actress than Nev Campbell, but yeah, she's too quirky almost. Like yeah. Nev Campbell yeah. gets you because she's there's something about Nev Campbell's face, right? It's very much,
0: and that's why I like was were like, like was like what really like you think that about Reese Witherspoon because I look at Reese, I think of Reese Witherspoon's face, and it's like I just can't see it.
1: I she she emotes pretty well, I think. I mean,
0: oh, she does. I'm just thinking she's too classically pretty.
1: Maybe. Well, Nev Campbell just always looks like she's being hurt by everything. Yeah, it's like existence hurts Nev right. Campbell in every right. performance, and like every word that you address to her is a slight, and she's always <laughs> like recoiling. And right. I mean, it's it's it, it fits the character perfectly. Sure. sure, fits her character perfectly in um the craft too. And honestly, the next year in um Wild Things, mm. because it's basically like almost exactly the same thing. Except she's, like, you know, trailer trash as opposed to, like, emotionally right. damaged.
0: So. Right. Okay, so Brooke Shields, this is for Gail Weathers, the Courtney Cox killer character. Brooke Shields, Janine Garofalo.
1: Uh, no, neither. Okay. Brooke, okay. Brooke, Brooke Shields too old at that point, and Janine Garofalo is too um, too nerdy. Like, you, you need um, Gale Weathers to be like outwardly this super successful confident beautiful like sort of younger woman like achieved way too much success way too fast um to counterbalance against the dewey character and make that like a enjoyable (laughs) pairing and somewhat believable right
0: so okay so for the rose McGowan role of Melinda Clark, which I'm not sure if you know, you do know her. She's returning the living dead three. Um, she's the lead, the female lead. Okay. But she's had oh, a moderately successful career. She's well known, like, you know, nowadays in television. Um, and then Rebecca Gayhart. Could you see either of the, oh, let's just say Rebecca Gayhart. No. You can't say it. I
1: I I, I think Rose McGowan is perfect in that role.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, a shame that like Rose McGowan was going through what she went through in Hollywood. Yeah. Like starting around this time, and then like with all the stuff with Weinstein and the Me Too shit that happened to her. But um, I think Rebecca Gayhart is too. I can't even explain it. It's just it's 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 just not right. Mm-hmm. and okay. i don't know why but i it's 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 not her she's not that yeah. character
0: so the server so for the role of randy it was down to two people apparently kennedy and, Breck and Meyer.
1: uh they're the same person i don't know whatever Breck and Meyer would have been fine in the role
0: okay so now i really want you to like i don't know if you know about this but so for the Skeet role of Loomis, like Billy Loomis, I want you to imagine David Arquette.
1: In that role? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how he could do it. They wanted him to read for
0: Billy Loomis. And he asked to read for Dewey.
1: Yeah, because that's more his more his style, right? Right. Like, I don't think um, he do like smoldering, damaged, bad boy heartthrob, right? Because right. there's a really funny scene where he tries to do that. Um, oh, hilarious! Yeah, yeah. When he's talking to Gale for the first time, and he like uh-huh. sort of like squints his eyes a little bit, mm-hmm. and like his mustache shakes, and uh huh then he gets like all uncomfortable and he can't really focus it he, do, he,
0: he does it again when he goes and picks up the god hilarious scene when nev campbell when she's staying at their house and she gets the phone call from the killer at right. rose McGowan's house and then like they've dewey's want to go sleep and they like call dewey and he comes out after everything's over and picks up like the phone is like hello and like gives that smoldering look like like he's gonna like like do something and it, hilarious like end sequence to that scene um no he's at his most charming it's it's a scene that's always in a line that's always stuck out to me with with David Arquette in this is that that sequence where he first meets Gail Weathers and like she talks about like her demographic or whatever and like you know um,
1: right. And and, Mom, and
0: and and is end lined. Is that I'm like, 26 now. Right, but I, was, but I
1: was 24, 25 for a whole, whole year. year. Fucking great,
0: fucking fantastic. Like like the like, dorky and charming at the same time, and nails it. Yeah, like
1: yeah, yeah, it's really good.
0: Yeah. Um, my point is to all that is like, can you imagine anybody else playing these characters?
1: No, but I mean, I think it's just because everything is nailed so perfectly.
0: That's what I'm saying. I think it's because it's like it's all that iconic. Yeah. It's like you can't imagine anything else, really.
1: That's no, really perfect casting and a huge jumpstart to so many careers like out of this movie. Sure. Like that lasts for like a decade and more in some cases.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: But now it's hard to understate like how important Scream is. I feel the same way about Dustal Dawn. Um, and honestly, the craft too. Like, I think all, yeah, all three of those movies. And um I, I think the Frighteners is unfortunate because I think it was just you don't release that horror movie in the middle of July. You know what I mean? Like you're not getting anybody at that point. And like nobody knows what it is, and nobody knows how to take the trailers. But so much confidence the studio has in this guy that they offered him King Kong at the same time. Like, after seeing, like, a cut of Frightener. So, I don't know. I mean, it's really the first major studio film for, better or worse, like, one of the more relevant and powerful directors of the past, like, 30 years, really. Right. I mean, the the, I mean, Peter Jackson from, like, whenever... First Lord of the Rings is 2000 or whatever. On is basically Lucas Spielberg, James Cameron. I mean, he's just as important as any of those guys in terms of like his power and his ability to get things filmed. So,
0: yeah. And the thing that you're going to see like as we like approach the rest of this year, um, I mean, besides Jhar, I think like creeping into like you know, like some of these lists like towards the end is that and it's because, of, it's because of Scream, is that a lot of these lists, like a lot of the, the movies that come out those years that are considered horror movies, there's a, there's a slight increase in the number of them, but the ones that are getting released theatrically increase. And, and that's just as important as the, the number of movies that are being made that year. Because it's like, if we, get, if we jump like next year, it's like there's more horror movies right. in 1997. But there's more of them that are getting released theatrically, right? I don't think they're on your list necessarily. All of them, <laughs> like, but like you know, um, but they're getting released more, getting re- released theatrically. Ninety-eight, there's tons that are getting released theatrically, even though there's only like maybe like ten more, you know, or fifteen more like that year um, that are being produced. So there, there, there's definitely like a an increase in the market. The marketing of horror um, theatrically that takes place because of just I think yeah like basically like you know Scream from dust Till Dawn to some degree the craft like you know to some degree but largely I think it's Scream um, like just revitalizes not only the genre but also the, um, the money um, and yeah like you said it can't be overstated
1: overstated yes overstated yeah you're right it can't be overstated how important that movie is right
0: um so yeah all right any final thoughts on this list
1: no I mean like you said at the beginning it was a better list I think maybe the best list um
0: I mean, had a def- couple good lists but this is certainly best and iconic I think
1: but. yeah agreed um and leads into some pretty cool, uh, um, cool trends in horror uh, going forward, and you really do get to see um, sort of a resurgence. I mean, there's so many major studio horror films that are going to be on our list when they come out, like over the next two years after this. So, reboots, new series—I um, don't know. Just it's it's pretty cool, and you're still seeing it today because horror's. In terms of like profitability, is one of the most profitable genres that you can have a movie? Sure.
0: Um, and before we end, I, Frank, here's how quickly time flies. Like, doesn't it just seem like not that long ago that we were talking about Nightbreed um, and the last time Keitel was on a list, Two Evil Eyes? Um, and it's been seven months like this is the seventh episode of this horror list we only we have three left um for the 90s to complete like and it just feels like it's like jesus like time just goes so quickly and it really does and you're feeling it i see it i see it i see it in your face right now how quickly time goes
1: well you know you gotta get up in the morning go to work so right
0: um I probably should have done this at the beginning of the episode. We've had a lot of new downloads recently, a lot of new listeners. Um, Thank you. Um, We always appreciate it. Um, As always, if uh, you, you know, want to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, um, even though Frank doesn't do any kind of art anymore because he's not the bar. Um, But, uh, you know, and um, at our email address, uh two guys five movies at gmail.com that's the number two and five two guys five movies gmail.com um
1: but yeah we next week what's that what's next week what's our next next podcast
0: oh our next podcast um our next podcast is um we're going to have friend the podcast michael bletso um come on um if you've uh, ever listened to some of our first watches? He did first watch of um, the Goonies with us. Um, and then he did um, Halloween, first wa- Halloween was a first watch, and then him and Orion did a uh, first watch of um, Chucky, um, uh, Child's Play, Child's
1: Play, and Nell,
0: and Nell, right? I forgot about Nell because that was just a random mono,
1: like, <laughs>
0: Um, and then he, um, probably like his uh in our 100th episode he was the one that like wanted to talk about lord of the rings so he could shit all over it right um i don't know if next week is much different um in this case but um he um is going to come on to talk about the uh christopher nolan batman trilogy um which you still have one more movie to watch we gotta watch
1: dark Knight rises this week yeah
0: and because of, like, COVID and, like, how much I was watching things, like, I have watched both of these, like, all all three of those movies twice in the past, like, fucking ten months. Oh. Um, and I feel that I'm going to be the most I, – I feel like I'm the have to – I have to defend these movies to some degree.
1: Well, defend away, I guess.
0: Even though I'm not, like, keen on some of the stuff in a lot of those movies like i still feel like there's there's there is some good stuff um but yeah so we're going to talk about those uh the three of us and then um again slightly related um is uh the second week we will be talking about the top five overrated sequels um of all time and um fuck you frank um for me oh i it. know yes um I deserve be, it because I'm finished that list, and I. Mm, mm. It's a good list. It's a good list, everybody. Um, well composed.
1: It, well composed it, it, list. It,
0: it is. They are. Um, they are definitely they. They all have their own shit to them. Um, but. Um, Yeah, there's going to be some hot takes on there for a lot of, probably, like, people. um, Probably including some listeners. Um, But, uh, yeah, they were all painful for me. Um, We do this at least once a year. We did it with the worst blockbusters ever last year. And this list was actually more painful, I think, than that list. I'll be honest. Um, And uh, then we will finish up the month with uh, the top, five horror movies of
1: 1997 it's good list another good list it is
0: sure um we have somebody else that like appears twice on that list too um it's a it's me (laughs) okay thank you for listening everybody have a good night take care